pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. And we have a couple of lines still open, so dial that number and you'll get through early today. Going to talk to Yolanda and Mark to start things off. Uh, you know the number. You just heard it. 210-599-5555. Another warm, warm morning out there for this first day of October. Golly, it seems like it ought to be starting to cool off. I guess it is cooling off a little bit. But uh, we start usually getting down into the 60s and sometimes even the 50s in October. So I hope everybody's looking forward to that as much as we are. Certainly going to make uh, care for all the plants and everything a little bit easier. And uh, still a lot of things to do out there. Lots of things for us to talk about, like the importance of getting that fall fertilizer on, like things you can plant in your vegetable garden right now and in your flower beds. But we'll save that for a little later if there's time. What I enjoy most is talking about what is on your mind. So let's just get started with phone calls. Yolanda called in first. Good morning. Good morning, Bob. How are you this morning? Off to a good start. <laughs> it's a whole lot easier starting to show yeah. at eight o'clock in the morning than it is at five thirty, like I do on Saturday. So uh, Saturday or Sunday is my favorite day. Yes, mine as well. Good. Um, I do want to ask you about my uh, pry of Barbados. Yes, ma'am. Uh, it seems to be getting yellow leaves. Uh huh. It's just a drought. It's just a drought and the heat. Uh, this is a uh-huh. time of this is a time of year they normally slow down on their blooming and they'll drop some yellow leaves. It's not a sign of a problem. The one thing I always try to do because I'm not interested in having them throw seeds everywhere is I go ahead and cut off the the uh, seed pods that are starting to form. I think that mm-hmm. reduces the stress on the plant a little bit and you won't have as many yellow leaves but like so many things, it's just hard to give them enough water when we haven't had rain and when we're, you know, up there pushing high 90s again in temperature. But it's absolutely nothing to worry about. They're not in any trouble. Uh, they'll slow down dropping leaves if you can water a little more thoroughly, perhaps a little mulch over the root system. Um, and like I say, cutting off those old seed pods before the plant has to put all the energy into developing them. Those are all things that will keep them a little bit greener, but it, this is certainly nothing to panic over. So uh, how often do you water uh, uh, Pride if, Barbados when it's so drought or when the weather starts to change? Right. How long have yours been in the ground? Oh, my goodness. Maybe 15 years. Okay. I'll be honest with you, I probably water mine once a month, but I have them in an area that has fairly deep soil. Uh, most folks, I'd say, give them a thorough watering about every two weeks. Okay, that's really good to know. Yes. Yeah, but don't, you know, don't just water lightly. When you water, do it thoroughly. Maybe just lay the hose on the ground at the base of the plant, let it run for a few minutes, because uh, the the upper surface of the soil, the upper couple of inches, is pretty easy to keep wet. 
But what we're really mm-hmm. worried about is what we call the subsoil, which is from, you know, a foot down to six feet down, which is where Prado Barbados right. has a lot of its roots. And that has just mm-hmm. gotten drier, probably drier than it's been since 2011. So uh, oh, we need goodness. to be sure, yeah, when we water that we really give them a good thorough drink. So during this drought period, water them uh, maybe every two to three weeks, but deep root water. And then when it gets better, uh, and we get a little bit of rain. Um, stop maybe watering. Once a month. Yeah, just if that, you can pretty much stop watering. Mine don't get watered very often. Now, people out there listening that just planted their plants this year, they have to water a whole lot more because that root system hasn't really spread out. But uh, if you've ever tried to dig one of those things up after it's been in for a few years, <laughs> you, it has very thick roots, and they go way down in the ground, and they spread way out. So when one yeah. has been in the ground for a long time, like yours and like mine, they don't take nearly as much attention to that those ones that uh, people have just planted in the last uh you know, 12 to 24 months. They're going to have to probably be watering maybe even twice a week on newly planted plants. But once they're really well established, they don't have to be watered very often at all. Well, I thank you so much. Yes, that was uh, a really important question to me because I don't want to lose them. So I don't want to <laughs> overwater them or underwater them. Well, but I, I sure appreciate you thanks. calling early. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I do thank you for that, Bob. And I am going to get those pods off because there's a lot of them. Yeah, and they uh, they are prolific, and it's so funny. When those seed pods ripen, they pop open. It sounds like somebody shooting a twenty two rifle, and I've seen them throw seeds over 20 feet. So if you, I mean, if you want more plants, leave a couple of them on there to ripen, but uh, if you don't want to be having little plants coming up all over the place, uh, um, oh. and I... Yeah, I think taking the old pods off many times tends to make them come back into bloom if it's not too late mm-hmm. in the season. So you get out there and right. get that done before it gets too hot today, Yolanda. I will. I thank you so much. That was yes. a huge help. Me. My pleasure. You have a good day, Bob. You do the same. Thank you. Okay. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. I believe the next person in line is Mark. Good morning, Mark. Good morning. Top of the morning to you, Bob. Well, and to you as well, sir. What's going on today? I've got a couple questions. Um, I've got a, a couple tomato plants that I got at Shades of Green. I can't remember what they're called. Uh, they were named after a, a gentleman you speak of sometimes. Um, I'm going to have to think on that one for just a minute. Tomato plants, uh, I know a rose named after somebody and a verbena named after somebody, but um, I'll have to think about that. But But what's going on with them? Anyway, they're 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 growing good, and and they're getting these the the, the these pods on them. They look like giant okra, and uh, they're they're starting. A couple of them are starting to brown up, and they pop open a little bit. Okay. Does that sound Does that sound normal? On a tomato plant, um, there is a plant called that they call a tomatillo which uh, the common name of it is a husk tomato, and they have like a little pod that pops open, and then the green fruit is inside of that. If that's what you have, and they look a lot like a tomato plant, and once it pops open, it looks very much like a tomato. They're used in a lot of salsas, and uh, a lot of people absolutely love them. They're a really tough, hearty plant. But uh, it sounds like a tomatillo instead of a tomato, 
and uh, that would be what you would expect it to do. Okay. All right, I'll just have to kind of watch it and see what it does. A second question is, I've got a uh, about a, a quarter of an acre stock tank that I'm rehabbing and uh-huh. I'm having to dig up a lot of clumping bamboo. My okay. question is, can, can, can I burn that bamboo once it's dried up or, or without fear of any kind of... Uh, contamination of anything else or oh you're you're not going to contaminate anything else but man as dry as this country is be sure you be sure you wait until we've gotten some good moisture before you think about lighting a match you're you're a country guy you know all about that but uh uh that's that's the one thing i mean drought is bad but uh fire danger is just is just scary it is so high right now and you know i'm so thankful for our volunteer firemen and women that uh the fires we've had start they've jumped on them and got them out before they got out of hand but uh uh as you know we've seen some horribly tragic fires all around the country and the, oh, yeah. the whole country's prime for a bad fire but uh uh we just want to be sure that we're not the ones that started uh every time i start hearing that thunder rolling <laughs> i start getting nervous and say man i hope it's cloud to cloud lightning instead of cloud to ground lightning because uh uh, I just, you know, last week I was blessed to spend a little time in Colorado and passed a pretty big fire that uh, was lightning started. So uh, uh, do your part. Keep that grass mowed down. Keep the brush under control. And, and don't light a match <laughs> unless you're in the middle yeah, of your what, pod. What, what, what I was going to do, what I'm doing is I'm getting it all piled up. And then once I get it piled up, I was going to, down in the center of my tank, I was going to dig down about 12 feet where you know, a, a, a 12 feet deep and about mm-hmm. 10 feet wide and about 20 feet long and, and put it down in his hole and burn it down there on the bottom of it. Oh, the burn pit's the best way to best way to do it. Uh, and and yeah, bamboo. I'm wait till we get some rain during the winter. Yeah, right. And, uh, of course, so whereabouts are you? I'm out of uh, north of San Antonio. Okay, and uh, I'm not sure how Bear County people feel, but where I where I live in Kendall County, when I am going to burn, I always call the uh, police dispatch office so that all my neighbors don't start seeing smoke and going wild, and they really appreciate that. So if you're if you're in an area outside San Antonio, if, you know, call your local law enforcement officials and say, hey, this is such and such. I live at such and such, and I'm going to be light the fire and it'll be out before dark and they will thank you uh very profusely but uh there, there's nothing toxic in that bamboo you're gonna you're gonna leave a little ash in the bottom which is gonna make it a little bit more alkaline temporarily but once you get some water back in that pond uh, you're gonna have lots of algae growth you're gonna have the kind of growth that would remove any toxins that happen to be there but you know beyond beyond just you know some little bit of charred material there's nothing in there that's going to be harmful to uh future fish or anything else that gets in that pond hope you hope it hope you get your work done and i hope it fills up immediately thereafter yeah, yeah i hope it does too how does that clumping bamboo how does it spread i mean how does you know it, it moves you know to different areas over the past few years how well does it move like that yeah all all bamboos put out an underground rhizome is what it's called it's like a stem that goes uh, maybe half an inch under the soil and then it turns up and makes a new shoot coming up. The so-called clumping bamboos, which are the only ones that I recommend, the only ones we sell, uh, those little, it's called the internodal distance is very short. So that little underground rhizome only goes out half an inch or so 
and then it turns up and makes a new upright stem. The so-called running bamboos, and people tend to call things that I can't say on the air, <laughs> those names for them, they may come up 20 feet away, they may come up 30 feet away, and I swear I've known people that had to move to get away from it, and uh, they pay no attention to fences or anything else, and let's say running bamboo does not make for good neighbors because uh, they just want to take over the earth, and uh, they're not that hard to get rid of, but you sure don't want them to get started. But uh, the difference in a, quote, clumping bamboo and a running bamboo is just the length of that underground rhizome, how far it grows before it turns up to make the new growth up above and put down roots. Okay, I got you. Okay, and well, there are bunches. Well, it's always a pleasure talking to you. Get out, do a rain dance, and have a good Sunday. <laughs> okay, all right, you too. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Goodbye. Uh-huh. All right, got some open lines. Give me a call two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. I get to talk to you for a moment about. Uh, let's see here. I've got to get over on the right page and see who is next in line. To, talk about and that would be medina agriculture and i love talking about medina agriculture because well gosh i've known Stuart frankie for so long and i have so much respect for those good people they just produce absolutely top quality products their products are natural some of them are certified organic in my book they're pretty much all organic by nature but not everything is certified organic because that can be an expensive process and there are times that they use a synthetic product that is uh, chemically identical to the one found in nature but they just do it right that's what they built their business around for the past 60 years is working with the soil supporting the life in the soil Old Malcolm Beck used to say we don't fertilize uh, the plants we fertilize the soil and then the soil feeds the plants and that's what Medina's known for years and that's what they built their products around. They have products that are true fertilizers, like their growing green, like their has to grow plant and lawn, like their liquid fish blend. Plus, they have things that just build the soil from their humates to their Medina Plus. And by the way, that's a great root stimulator and starter. Something great to put in your compost pile as well. But uh, Medina just makes quality products. If you want to see the complete list, go to their website at medinaag.com. You want to see their fine products, just go to any fine nursery or garden center that carries quality products. You'll see lots of things from our friends at Medina. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening, back to the phone lines. Uh, Don tells me we have Dan and Ted waiting. Dan is first in line. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Bob. How are you doing this morning? Off to a good start, wishing it was a little cooler, but, you know, it's coming. It won't be long before we're complaining that it's too cold, but uh, I'm ready for about a 15-degree drop in temperature myself. How about you? Well, doing pretty well. Spent uh, yesterday out mowing a pasture. I actually have a very small peach orchard about seven miles south of Bandera. Okay. Uh, the peach trees are on a drip irrigation system, but even with constant watering, I lost about five of them over the drought this past summer. I just want your recommendation what I should replace those five trees with. Well, peaches are a challenge. Uh, They're also one of the most delicious things you can possibly grow. So if you wanted a hardier tree, you can switch and grow some pears. You know, the hard pears, the key for the orient, the moon glow, seckle. There are a lot of hard pears that can live 100 years. And once they're established, uh, they don't take nearly as much work as a peach tree does. But to really enjoy them, you almost have to can them. And 
I love something you could just go pick off the tree and, you know, take a big bite out of. So uh, if you want to plant more peaches, there are a lot of good varieties where you are. You're going to be looking probably at about a 600-hour peach. And uh, if you if you're looking for a real sweet white meated peach there's a real good one out there called melba i think it's actually about a 700 hour but it should do fine for you uh um it and it's one they call a honey peach that's just a really good one uh john fanick is a good uh yellow peach uh, la feliciana is a good yellow peach um, those are all good varieties. I'd have to get out my old Ellie Cook fruit guide to name off all the ones. But uh, the other thing that you can look at, and we, we don't sell much in the way of uh, fruit trees because, you know, where we are in town, most people have small yards, and there's just not that much demand. But if you talk, go over to Fanix or somewhere like that, they usually have a pretty good selection. And they can tell you on the individual trees when their ripening uh, time is. And if you plant carefully, you can have peaches that will ripen in June. You can have peaches that ripen, you know, all the way up to the end of August. So uh, if, you, if you're enjoying your peaches mainly fresh picked, then it's good to have a, a number of varieties that produce at slightly different times. If you or somebody in your family really likes to can or wants to make a bunch of pies or something like that, then sometimes it's better to have a lot of peaches at one time, in which case you would plant several trees of the same variety. It's, it's important to have more than one tree, but it doesn't matter whether there's more than one variety or not. Uh, just there's enough different from tree to tree that you will get the cross-pollination that you have to have. But planting a single peach tree is uh, not going to yield you much fruit, but it sounds like you already have a bunch of them. And like you say, if yep. you want all your peaches at one time, if you want to set up a roadside stand or something, then you plant all the same variety. If you want to enjoy them spread out over a period of time, just uh, uh, select your varieties carefully, and you can sure do that. Yes, sir. I, I have six different varieties out there, and I, I'm afraid you're going to ask me for all six of them because <laughs> I actually just pulled, pulled over the side of the road to, to talk to you. Uh, I don't have. I have Florida King. I've got Texas Gold. Uh, the ones that I lost um, this summer were the La Valenciana that you just mentioned, and so I don't uh-huh. want to replace those. Um, but do you think the the Melba would be a good uh, recommendation for a brand name to replace those trees I lost? For a varietal name, it certainly would be. What you have to be careful of is uh, is you, you need to look real carefully at what they call the chilling hours, which is you know how many hours uh, below 45 degrees you get in an average year. And a peach tree will not bloom until it has fulfilled its chilling requirement. But once it gets up to the proper number of hours, it will bloom the first time we have a warm spell. And the problem with Florida King and, you know, a lot of these very low chilling varieties is they're, they were bred, developed for areas that don't have very much winter. The problem with planting a low chill peach is that sometimes it has fulfilled its chilling requirement by the 1st of January. Then all of a sudden we get two weeks of warm weather and it comes out in blooms. Then the blooms all freeze and you get zero fruit from it. So uh, in the area where you are, I would be looking at, at trees which require between 600 and 750 hours 
of uh, chilling weather. You can't plant the uh, varieties they have in Fredericksburg because uh, rarely do we ever have enough chilling hours to get them to produce once you get down toward Bear and Kendall County and Bandera County and things like that. But again, stay away from the real low chill varieties that were developed from Corpus all the way to uh, Florida. So just just ask or look, uh, you know, a you're probably not going to find what you're looking for at a box store, but if you're dealing with a quality nursery like Phanix or somebody like that, they can very accurately tell you what the chilling hours are and what the ripening period will be. All right, sir. Um, I'm going to get back on the road, but I have one more question for you. It's probably politically incorrect. Do you have a non-lethal way of taking care of raccoons? I don't have any personal problem lowering the population of raccoons in Bandera County. However... <laughs> My wife and my daughter don't like me doing that. So is there anything that you can put on the trees, around the trees, to help get rid of those critters? Um, the only thing, and it is very temporary, is going to be a super hot pepper oil. Uh, there's one called Cole, C-O-L-E-S. I don't know who all carries it. I know Little Nature Store up and Bernie keeps it on the shelf. And they, things will tend to stay away from that, but... Raccoons have become very urbanized, and I'll tell you what uh, I do. They're they're pretty easy to trap, and, um, uh, well, I, I shouldn't say it out loud. I have a wildlife management area not too far away from me that uh, many of them uh, get relocated, shall we say, and uh, if, as long as you're doing it, you know, not at the time of year they're likely to have babies out there. But, um, I, you know, for me, it's trap and relocate. I, like you, don't have much problem with many of these creatures. But the only things that I shoot on sight are, are uh, porcupines and wild hogs, and they're just not many redeeming things. And um, one of our employees here spent a long part of a night in the vet's office having like 300 porcupines quills pulled out of his dog's face so uh those guys i think even your your sweet ladies would probably not object to just tell them you're protecting your pets and things like that but raccoons possums uh armadillas i tend to just find them a new home and i tend to do it at a time of year that i'm not going to be taking mama away from baby bees and things like that and uh, i'll tell you on on uh, raccoons in particular Dried fruit is, uh, you know, just get cheapest thing you can find at the grocery store, whether it's peaches or apricots or whatever. And uh, I tend to put a little piece of wire through and tie them down. I occasionally also will use cattle cubes because a uh, little such and such is, you know, we'll just rip open a bag of cubes trying to get at whatever's inside. And uh, when I'm using something like that, I will put it on the ground underneath the trap and then set the trap on top of it and... Uh, you know, you know all the precautions. Don't put the trap out in the sun. Put it in a shady area because you don't want to be cruel to them in any way, form, or fashion. And above all, keep your fingers well away from the trap when you're <laughs> transporting into their new homes because a big coon can be a vicious animal. Yes, sir. Sir, I appreciate your time. Uh, you have a good day, and I'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. I uh, was going to tell you one more thing, uh, one more peach to put on your list. There is a very productive peach called June Gold, G-O-L-D. Uh, it's a cling peach, but it's one of the most productive and one of the most sweetest, one of the sweetest yellow meat peaches that falls right into your uh, chilling requirement so that that's another one that i think uh, everybody in that 650 r chill zone should have is is this one called june gold 
I appreciate it. I'll write it down. Thanks again, sir. You have a you good day. You're welcome, and thanks for pulling over and being safe while we talk, Dan. <laughs> we'll talk that. again. Bye-bye. Thank you, sir. Bye. All right, let's get a break in here, and then Ted will be up next. I get to talk to you about Fanix. I guess I practically just did an ad for Fanix, but uh, uh, <laughs> they've been around for like 90 years, and I love the family. I've known three generations, actually four generations of Fanix now, I guess, but um, they, they are folks who really love plants. Uh, we call them plantsmen. They're far. It's not just a business to them. They love the plants. They love helping people grow things well. And they've got lots of fun things going on right now. I mean, they've got their wonderful selection of fall vegetables. They've just gotten their uh, fall supply of citrus in. Just about everything you could imagine there. They're selling garlic and shallots by the pound at this point because it's time to get those things in the ground. I could go on and on and on. They've got a uh, new shipment of uh, oh gosh, just about everything out there they have uh, all the plants that qualify for the saws water saver rebate program presume that uh, uh, cps energy will be starting their green sheet trade yeah green tree shade rebate program uh sometime in the next few months and they always have plenty of shade trees plus you know they're not just all about plants they have the traeger pellet grills and all the accessories plus they have that ego lithium ion battery powered super quiet outdoor equipment you can be out there at six o'clock on sunday morning uh you using things like their weed eater or their chainsaw and <laughs> your neighbors won't get awakened by the sound because there's really very little sound. Just lots of reasons to go see Fanic. Check out their website at Fanic, F-A-N-I-C-K, FanicNursery.com. Open every day of the week over on Home Green Road, right where they've been for about 90 years now. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster, News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening and back to the phone line. It's going to be Ted and Paul and Mike. Ted is first. Good morning, Ted. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, sir. Uh, got a couple questions for you. Uh, I've got an uh, Asia jasmine bed uh, in my front, uh, the, you know, inside the uh, circular drive. And yes, sir. It's about 10 foot by 40. And back in April, I had it trimmed uh, down to about five or six inches. Uh, and then I, I left town for the summer, uh-huh. and I thought the sprinkler system was working and taking care of it. Well, it turns out that the uh, controller got uh, got zapped with a power surge or something, so yeah. had no water on it until late July. And okay. So it's uh, mostly dead now, except for uh, two small patches of green on, on either end, uh, so question is what do, what do i do and when um the stuff that is brown and crispy you might as well trim it off uh, you can it's it's best to do it by hand you can get some of those long bladed shears if you want to do it with a uh, line trimmer be sure that you get they they have something called diamond line and it has as the name implies it's not round it's not smooth it's more diamond shape and having that that sharper edge if you're cutting something woody like jasmine does a much better job of cutting instead of just ripping it apart but uh 10 by 40 you've got a pretty big area to deal with there i take it uh somebody started watering it in july you said it went for a while without water but uh it's been getting water for a while now it, it has i had the uh uh, controller replaced in late July, and uh, uh-huh. it, it's been working 
since then. Very good. Well, the, the reason I ask that is that you probably then anything that is alive and going to come out, you know, has done so at this point. So uh, it's a matter of just cutting out the dead. Um, if and and it spreads, you know, that Asiatic jasmine when it's uh, really well established, you may have one plant that has vines going out ten feet in all directions. So uh, the fact that you have a few patches that are still green. You really don't need to do much in that area except fertilize and give them a chance to spread out. Uh, in the other areas, you can either go back in. I wouldn't spend the money for one-gallon containers. I'd go ahead and get the less expensive four-inch pots of Asiatic jasmine, and you can plant more. Or you can view this as an opportunity to make it a little bit more interesting area and plant some drought-resistant perennials like salvia gradii. Blooms all summer. It's evergreen, and it's, um, well, let's just say I've got some of it that I haven't watered in three months, and it still looks pretty good. So there are some other fun things that you could plant in there from some of the different salvias to pink skullcap to a number of different lantanas to uh, there's something called hummingbird bush and nisacanthus. Uh, blooms all summer with little bright orange flowers. So if you wanted something a little bit more interesting than just Asian jasmine, this would be a good opportunity to plant some sun-tolerant, drought-hardy perennials. But if you enjoyed having just a green Asiatic jasmine bed, fall is typically a, a good time to plant more, and there's certainly nice plants available out there. Okay, so fall is, uh, is fine uh, versus waiting till the spring? For yeah, um, I just you know I, I'm not stupid enough to do weather. I, I don't understand, and, and I know some meteorologists that actually are pretty good guys, but these clowns that do it on a day-to-day -day basis just have no clue. And some folks say we're going to have another cold winter. So I've never seen several cold winters happen in a row granted we've had it two out of three years now and uh, uh, old farmer's almanac says it's going to be a cold winter so you know just just take your choice if it looks like we're going to have a really severe winter um, then that would be a reason to put off replacing it until spring on the other hand if you plant in the fall you've got all winter for the roots to get established it's going to take off and grow much more rapidly in the spring than it would be if you wait till spring to plant and you can always cover it up with some mulch but um it's you know gardening is a gamble whether it's your landscape or whether it's your vegetable garden and uh it's certainly possible if we have a winter as cold as we did uh, three years ago or even as we had uh you know, early in this past winter, it could damage things that you plant in the fall. Is it going to happen? I have no idea. So um, the other option would be to plant um, some annual flowers, things like snapdragons, or right now you could plant, uh, well, snapdragons, petunias, dianthus. A little bit later on, you could plant something like Johnny Jump Up or pansies. Enjoy having some color out there that doesn't mind the cold, even if it gets very cold. And uh, just enjoy having some flowers in there for the winter. And then when they start dying out in the spring, uh, then you could uh, replant your Asian jasmine then and uh, give you a little time to think about just how you want that want that area to look i and i guess i'm just the eternal optimist but i sometimes when things in my yard fold up and die for one reason or another i always stop and think real hard about whether i want to put the same thing back or if there might be something better so 
Uh, that's the position in which you find yourself. I can tell you how to do it, and I can tell you what you can plant, but you and your family are going to have to decide what you want to have it look like out there. Now, uh, I I put a couple of uh, abelia uh, uh-huh. shrubs in and in a, uh, near the house where I lost a couple uh, of sporums in the uh-huh. trees two, two years ago. And those, uh, I just put, just got them in. Uh, they've got a, a little bit of flowers on them. And I, was, uh-huh. I was thinking, you know, maybe putting, uh, you know, two, three, four of them in that uh, among the jasmine there, like you said, make it a little bit more interesting. Well, it would make it more interesting. I'm just, you know, want to be certain that you're not blocking your view so you safely get in and out of the driveway. So. Uh, that's the problem with abelia, the, especially the, the uh, compact forms. They grow about four feet tall, and they spread out. They're absolutely gorgeous, but you can't see through them. Um, so just keep that in mind. You can also plant something like a crepe myrtle that's going to have bare trunks. If you plant one of the medium-sized varieties, it's going to get 10 or 12 feet tall. It's going to give you lots and lots of flowers, but... Uh, you know, again, you can prune it so the trunks are bare up for the first five or six feet, and that gives you lots of color, lots of growth without limiting your vision. So there are just a world of different things you can plant out there. I love abelias. I, uh, the ones like the old standard glossy get about eight or ten feet tall. I've got some in my landscape. They're probably a hundred years old. Uh, some of the newer varieties have colorful leaves. Uh, uh, some of the uh, like compacta stays very low, spreads out, and has white flowers virtually all summer long. So you got a lot of good choices you can you can play with out there. Now, uh, I actually thought of uh, crepe myrtles, uh, mm-hmm. you know, for some time now, uh, and I, I guess uh, the dwarf variety, the you keep them, you know, at a reasonable height. Well, I, uh, again, you have to look at your own situation. To me, the dwarfs are going to be a little bit probably too small because the true dwarfs, you know, only get four or five feet tall. So once again, you got the vision uh, problem. There are some, I guess we might call semi-dwarf. They grow eight to ten feet, and um, there, there are lots of different varieties out there. And, uh, you know, I like those. We have some, oh, gosh, what is it, burgundy lace, I think we have in our parking lot. But they grow up, and about the first five feet are bare. They don't get over about 10 or 12 feet tall, so they don't turn into that 35-foot monster like Basham's Party Pink. But uh, And then they're miniatures that never get over two or three feet tall that you can see right over the top of. So um, I guess the the message there is just choose the variety that, you know, suits your needs best. But, uh Golly, there are a lot of wonderful new crepe myrtle varieties out there. Now, okay, now, you know, getting back to you know what to do with the the bed, you know, the ninety percent of it is just the the dead vines. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, should I, uh, you know, get somebody to pull those out? Maybe uh, rototill it. No, uh, no, rototilling is just going to bring up. Rototilling just brings up weeds, and uh, you're just you know, there's no reason to go to the work of trying to pull them out and disturb things that are already there. Uh, if it were me, I'd just be cutting it off uh, at ground level, and you're probably going to find that even though you're covering a big area, there are not a whole lot of dead plants in there. 
And uh, if I were doing it, I'd you know I'd go through with, probably with my hand shears and I'd just snip things off at ground level, pull those up, pull them out, and just keep kind of work my way across the bed, cutting and pulling, cutting and pulling. But I'm not going to try to rip them out by the roots. I don't think there's any reason to do that. And rototilling is quite likely to cause more problems than it helps. Okay. And then uh, would you say throw some uh, compost on there uh, before I plant? Uh, oh, yeah, a little compost, a little fertilizer, regardless of what you plant. Uh, and if you're planting something like crepe myrtles, be sure that you've, you know, got them. So many of them come buried too deeply in the pots. You want to be sure that the trunks are exposed all the way down to the root flare. But, no, just normal good planting practices. Dig a square hole. Uh, don't dig it any deeper than the root ball, and be sure that you uh, – um, you know, I, I don't like filling a lot of good soil in around. I like filling around the plant with the same soil that came out of the hole because that's better for the roots. But then on top of the ground, I'm going to put some good mulch. Uh, fertilizer I'm going to put down either before or after I plant. But, yeah, just whatever you choose. Just follow good planting practices. And if you have any questions about that, call me back. I'd love to help. Okay, one other quick question. Same, uh, you know, same situation with my uh, St. Augustine. You know, uh, it went dry uh, mm-hmm. until the middle of summer. So in the backyard, the, the center of the lawn is completely brown. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, will it come back? And, you know, what do I hey. do? Uh, get down on your hands and knees and look at the runners, the uh, part that the blades come off of. If they're brown, it's dead. If they're green, it will come back. If you've been watering it for, you know, a couple of months now, uh, it's probably anything that's still brown is dead. Uh, it's just like your jasmine. Anything that's green is going to spread in the fall and fill back in. St. Augustine runners can grow three feet in a growing season. So, uh, once again, decide if you want to have that much grass. And um, uh, St. Augustine is the only grass that does well in the shade, so you may be limited in what you can replant with if it's a real sunny area. You can go with Bermuda, which brings its own set of problems, but which is more drought tolerant. So <laughs> it's just, uh, there are just a lot of decisions to make. Uh, the most important thing is just how you use your landscape and what will be most pleasing to you and your family. Right. And uh, regardless of what I do there, uh, put some uh, fertilizer on it now. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, October, November, certainly the best months of the year to plant shrubs. Grass or ground covers, uh, it's just a question of how cold the winter is going to be. But uh, um, if you're doing a relatively small area, not investing a lot of money, I would go ahead and replant. If it's a big area, I, you're gonna just going to have to think about how hard you want to work to protect it if we do end up with another really cold winter. I see. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much, Bob. I appreciate your help. Well, it's a pleasure, and uh, good questions, Ted. You Good luck with it, and call if you have more questions. Uh, let's see here. Paul and Mike, hold on. I need to get a break in here, and then you guys will be up next. Uh, get to talk to you about Dr. Mark Williamson and Associates. Uh, Dr. Williamson is just hes just a man among men. He's a dentist by profession, but he's just so different than most of the dentists out there these days, especially uh, guys and gals coming out of uh, dental school. You know, they, they kind of talk to 
cram in as many patients as possible, move through as quickly as possible, and if anything's really complex, we'll just send them out to a specialist. That's not the way Dr. Williamson works. Dr. Williamson takes his time. He wants to know you. He wants to know your family. He wants to understand your oral health and give you the best life he possibly can through helping you maintain absolutely the best in oral health. And he is the specialist. There's hardly a problem out there that he can't solve and do very well right there in the chair in his own office. Worked with Dr. Staffel for years before Ed passed away, and let me tell you, he's just probably the most broadly trained dentist you're going to find anywhere, but the atmosphere of the office, the atmosphere of the dentist, <laughs> you're going to find it just a real pleasure. Now, if you've got a good dentist, I would not change, but if you're new to town, maybe your dentist is retired or moved away or whatever, if you're looking for a new dentist, I would certainly consider Dr. Mark Williamson. Uh, the offices conveniently located over there on Cherry Ridge Drive, just outside 410, just east of uh, I-10. Easy to find, and like I say, just a wonderful environment to be in. If you need more information, give them a call. 341-2569, 341-2569 for Dr. Williamson and Associates. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening on a nice Sunday morning out there. I guess uh, Paul had to drop off and run off to church or something, so it looks like it should be Mike and Scott. Mike is first in line. Good morning, Mike. Morning, Bob. Um, I just have uh, two questions about uh, a question about two different trees and one other question. Um, the first tree I wanted to ask you about was desert willow. Um, uh-huh. Just if whatever you could tell me about them and if they'll grow well here. Desert Willow does very well here. It is a very attractive tree when it's in bloom. It's a scraggly kind of ugly tree otherwise. It doesn't have okay. it doesn't have a real nice shape to it. You're always going to have some dead wood in it, but uh, especially this variety that was developed down at San Antonio Botanical Center called Bubba, B U B B A. It is one of the has one of the richest colors in the world. Uh, it grows all over West Texas, so you know it doesn't take a lot of water once established. So uh, it's not going to make a shade tree. It's not going to be as uh, uniform in growth habit as a crepe myrtle, but it sure does have pretty flowers. So if you don't mind kind of a scraggly growth, uh, it's super easy to grow, doesn't mind the hot sun. Once it's established, it doesn't mind the drought. So um, that that's sort of Desert Willow 101. Okay, great. And the next one is uh, Barbados cherry. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, I mean, the same thing. There's Whatever a dwarf. Tell me. Yeah, there's a dwarf form of Barbados cherry that only gets about oh, 12, 18 inches tall. There is a standard Barbados cherry that will grow up to four feet. It's a pretty okay. little evergreen shrub, small leaves, uh, colorful uh, fruit on it, not edible. Um, it's not especially cold hardy. Uh, most of them died or at least died back in our cold winters. But uh, pretty little evergreen shrub. I don't think it ever gets any insect problems. Once established, it's pretty drought tolerant, but just not very cold tolerant. Okay. I thought they were edible. I guess I was wrong. Well, the birds sure eat them, but I've never found them to be very tasty. I don't think they'll hurt you, but uh, (laughs) I don't think you're going to find them uh, in a Julia Child cookbook. I'll put them that way. Okay, thanks. Um, And then last question. I got a little bag of some, it's uh, from Native American Seeds, and it's some shade-tolerant native grass mix. 
Okay. And I just w- want to know what would be the best time of year to put that down. Do it right now. And uh, okay. if you want to hold on, we can talk a little bit more. But I've got to go to news here on KTSA Radio. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. All right, and we do have a couple of open phone lines. If you want to grab one of them, you know the number. You just heard it, 210-599-5555. Looks like Scott and Maria are going to be my next two callers. Uh, good morning, Scott. Morning, Bob. Morning, sir. Um, I, had, I had two questions for you. One, a certain somebody that will not be mentioned decided <laughs> to tell our... Uh, like our uh, lawn guys to weed eat in the flower beds and uh, didn't bother to uh, tell them about the uh, Greg's Miss Flower. Ah, um, okay. Will it come back? I planted it, I don't know, March of this year, and it has been watered all year, so it, should, it was alive. It yeah, it should come back strong. Give it a little bit of uh, maybe a little Medina Plus and give it a little liquid fertilizer like the Medina has to grow or the liquid fish blend. Um, let me just say that that is one plant that borders on being invasive. Uh, unless they actually ripped it out by the roots, I think it's going to come back strong for you. Uh, um, maybe, well, may not be in time for the fall migration of things like the monarchs, but uh, Greg Smith almost certainly will come back. They they would have had to have gotten in there almost with a bobcat to kill that stuff out. It's, it's one of the really tough, hardy plants. and Beautiful plant, great pollinator plant, lots of nice things to say about it, but weed-eating it, just think of it as a severe pruning, and it should respond without any problem. You can help it with a little more fertilizer. Okay, yeah, I was just making sure since it had only been, I don't know, maybe six months in the ground, I didn't know if yeah. it was, quote-unquote, established yet. So It it almost certainly is. Uh, this has been a hot summer, and things have been a little bit slower to establish, but um, uh, there are a lot of much more tender things I'd be a lot more concerned about. But Greg Smith Greg is, a, is a survivor. I, I'm not 90% certain it's going to come back strong. Okay, somebody's out of the jailhouse for now. Um, <laughs> my second question is, uh, I had a candlestick bush, a uh, bunch of seeds, and, you know, uh-huh. we, I grew them in the spring, and one of those little suckers just decided to sprout up last week. Uh-huh. How hard will it be to try to keep it alive over the winter? If you really want to keep it alive over the winter, dig it up and put it in a pot. Uh, Empress candlestick. Well, no, I mean, it's already in a pot. Oh, okay. Uh, as long as you can like, continue to give it. Pot. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, they're, they're, as long as you can keep them from freezing, as long as you can give them adequate light, uh, they'll go through the winter just fine. Uh, in, in the landscape, they tend to be annuals. Uh, they, as you mentioned, they do reseed fairly profusely and they usually come back. You usually, once you've had Empress Candlestick in one place, you usually don't have to replant it because you'll have plenty of seedlings come up. But anything that's, uh, that's green now, will die in a hard freeze so uh you need to be able to give it light all winter for it to do well you need to be able to keep the temperature 
Uh, let's say above 38. Uh, beyond that, it's not going to be not going to be too hard to keep it through the winter months. Okay, so just 38. It doesn't need to be like 50. I, I thought they were little hot, warmer plants. No, they're they're tough and hardy. I, when I was a kid visiting my grandparents in Dallas, that was one of three plants. The Dallas Parks Department planted red cannas, copper plants, and empress candlesticks in every city park in town. And then they rarely ever did anything to them all summer long. And they, they went right up to the hard Christmas time freezes before they gave up uh, and usually bloomed right up almost to the end as well. Okay. Good. No, so basically just don't let it freeze, and yeah. if it, it does freeze, it should be good in my shop uh, for a few days. Hopefully it yeah. only lasts a few and, days. And just keep it in the brightest place you possibly can. Best thing, of course, is to move it in and out because there's nothing like that direct sunlight. Uh, if you have to keep it in the shop all uh, winter, I would, you know, hang a shop light above it with uh, some sort of uh, bulb in it that puts out lots of light in the blue end of the spectrum. You can create your own little, you know, kind of indoor greenhouse shop area with artificial light if you have to go that route, uh, as they do. Yeah, in, I have, uh, I have uh, grow bowls. Yeah. So. Yeah. You're all set. All right. Thank you, sir. It's my pleasure. Thanks for the call this morning, Scott. And next in line is Maria. Good morning, Maria. Hello, Bob. Good morning. Good morning to you. I have three questions for you. Okay. I was going to transplant my crepe myrtle, and I was going to ask you if it's all right to do it. It's uh, I got it in an area that was it outgrew. It still mm-hmm. looked like a little bush, but uh, it was outgrowing the area where I had it. So and it's I been planted a while. It's it's fairly well established. Uh, yes, it's, uh, it's about a couple of years old there. Okay, okay. Uh, wait until December or January to do it. Wait until the leaves are off of it for the fall. I just don't know what we're going to be seeing in the next 30 days. And if it stays as hot as it is now, it would not be a good idea to transplant it. Once the leaves have dropped for the winter months, once the temperatures are, you know, down in the 50s and 60s instead of the 80s and 90s, uh, you should be able to transplant that crepe myrtle very easily. You've got close to 100% chance it will do well. But I think it's still a little hot to be doing it uh, at this point. I'd, I'd give it, like, say, uh, uh, December, January probably be the best two months to do that transplant. Okay. I went out and looked at it yesterday, and I think I was hit by some uh, carpenter ants because it is stripped and my rose bush next to it is stripped. Well, they're probably actually leaf. Yeah, it's probably leaf cutting ants rather than carpenter ants. Carpenter ants uh, eat on dead wood. Leaf cutters kind of steal the leaves off the plant. So uh, keep an eye on it. If they come back and keep stealing the leaves, you need to try to find them out and and get rid of it. You can't really use the uh, grease products that we use on trees um, on things like rose bushes because, you know, they're, they're branched so close to the base. And most crepe myrtles are the same way. So keep an eye on them. Uh, spray some spinosad around, and uh, you you do want them to put some leaves back on for the fall months. This is time of year roses are starting to put on their fall growth. So if the leaf cutters stick around, we're going to have to track them down and eliminate them. But other than that, uh, shouldn't be any problems. I tried to look for them, and I looked around, you know, a big diameter of my uh, of my 
yard, and I could not see any trails of any kind. But anyway. Well, you need to look uh, early morning, late evening. You need to try to find the ants themselves because they're just, you'll see like a little army of you know, ants marching along, carrying the green things, sometimes several columns wide. Uh, when they're actively taking the leaves off, uh, they're not hard to find. But, of course, once they've stripped the leaves that were on there, they're going to move on to something else. So uh, uh, keep an eye on the plants. If the plants, uh, and the plants should start putting on, you know, more leaves, especially with it getting just a little bit cooler. But uh, look at the right time of days, which is going to be in the relatively cool morning, the relatively cool evening. If they're out there, you will see them, and you can follow them right back to their uh, colony. They form a mound that has several entrances. Uh, if you find that they're still active, let me know, and we'll go over how to try to get rid of them. They're tough to kill. Okay. And my other two questions with my cannas um in the spring they bloomed beautifully and then i deadheaded them and then i haven't got a single one once you deadhead them do they not rebloom depends on the weather and this has been a hot hot summer typically they will rebloom almost all summer long but this summer there are a lot of plants that just uh plants as you've probably heard me say have what we call a compensation point and that's how much energy it takes just to stay alive Anything above that point that they have left over in energy, they put into growing and blooming. Uh, the compensation point for cannas was so high this summer that they were just doing all they can to survive the heat. As it cools off this fall, you may get some more flowers, but uh, this summer they were just doing everything they could to survive, let alone bloom. Okay. And my other question is uh, concerning my sycamore tree. There mm -hmm. I, had, I planted three trees. Uh, two of them were sycamore and one was a Mexican something, I can't remember. And it just dried up and died on me. And I was really watering them. And then my sycamore, one of them is doing good and the other one is hanging on. And well, the bark of the tree is like, it's all cracky, cracking mm -hmm. and drying. It's not. Yeah, that, that, that's called exfoliating. And uh, a sycamore will pretty much shed all of its bark every year. So that's not any concern at all. Um, just be sure that you're not watering. You don't need to water, you know, real often. But when you water, you want to water very, very thoroughly. The one thing you can do that will help any tree or any shrub is go out. And you can do this ten times a day if you like. Put your thumb over the end of the hose and just spray up and down the trunk and the lower limbs, especially on small trees like that. They will absorb a great great deal of moisture directly through that weird bark and uh, that'll help get them through the rest of the summer they'll spend the winter growing roots and then you should have a real strong burst of growth next spring but uh, uh, sycamores do take a little bit of supplemental water that's the only hesitation i have in recommending them widely because they're our fastest probably our fastest growing reasonably good quality shade tree but uh it's been a hard, been a hard summer on. We've got, you know, a number of them planted around the nursery here and they've dropped some leaves. They've struggled a little bit, but they'll be back strong. But just in the meantime, since yours are newly planted, every time you think about it, pick up your hose and just spray up and down the trunk and over the limbs. And, uh, every few days, check the soil, wait till it gets dry about a one or two knuckles deep and then water them very thoroughly. I've been doing all that. Like I said, this one is this, the bark looks really weird. It's not, uh, uh, shedding its skin like normal because the other mm -hmm. one is doing it but this one is 
it looks like a normal tree's bark, all crackly. Uh-huh. Like I've... it's decaying, like it's dying from within. Take a picture sometime and take it by a good nursery and let them take a, a good look at it. Um, sycamores, they're, they're pretty tough and hardy, and if they have any problems, they tend to grow through them pretty well. An old mature tree will develop some very calloused-looking bark on it uh, ultimately, and in a good season, sometimes the sycamores grow so quickly, they actually split the bark. You'll have vertical splits up and down the trunk. So uh, um, if in doubt, take a couple of good close-up pictures and, uh, you know, go buy a good nursery. Fanix or comes to us at Shades of Green or guys at Rainbow are pretty good. Uh, and uh, actually seeing what the tree looks like uh, be a whole lot easier to give you an accurate answer yeah. on that one. It, it, like you said, they did grow really fast, and they did yeah. do the split thing, on, yeah. on, you know, the, the, the split. And uh, I'm really worried about them, but, uh, yeah, okay. Thank you for your help. Well, it's always a pleasure, and uh, you get out and have a good Sunday. And as long as the sycamores are putting on new growth, I have no problem with them. But the newest growth on the tree still looks green and good. Uh, ours and most everybody's have probably dropped a third to half their leaves uh, this summer, just compensating for the heat and the drought. But um, uh, the great majority of them are going to come through strong and should put on a very, very good burst of growth next spring. And I'll keep you posted as we go through the winter, see what the moisture is, and see what we need to do. So get it and have a good Sunday, and know that I enjoy talking to you always. Don, we better get a break in here. We'll be right back and get on with the phone calls. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. It's going to be Gilbert and John and Omar, and Gilbert is first in line. Good morning, sir. Hi, Gilbert. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, sir. How are you today? Oh, fine, thank you. Uh, Good. Another day, another dollar. <laughs> A million days, what have you got? There you go. I uh, I just want to ask you. I have a well, a couple of trees, a, a kumquat tree uh-huh. and a avocado tree. Okay. And they uh, for for some reason they uh, they they're just the top of leaves are turning like pale, and okay. even the uh, kumquats are coming out kind of pale. Mm-hmm. It's it's partly due to the heat. It's actually uh, probably a mineral deficiency of some sort. Uh, both of those trees, in fact, everything in your landscape, uh, you can get a small bag of a product called Azomite, A-Z-O-M-I-T-E. Uh, there are other things out there. There are products like green sand and all that uh, don't change the leaves that are on the tree, but the new leaves will come out greener. But we found with the Azomite, even the leaves that have turned pale uh, tend to turn back a dark green color. Uh, we've used it very widely on periwinkles and a number of other things. So um, I, I don't think this is a real serious situation, but if you want to green it up with a non-toxic product, and uh, how, how, big are the, how big are the two plants? Well, they're uh, maybe the kumquat. It, I still have it in a pot. It's like uh-huh. maybe three feet high. Okay. And uh, it, it, it gives me... Uh, Two to three times uh, fruit every year. Oh yeah, 
Yeah, that's the nice thing about kumquats is they uh, they can produce literally 12 months out of the year. Tree that size, you probably don't need more than maybe half a cup of azomite around it. And I just get in the habit of doing that about every five or six months. Uh, like I say, it's not really a fertilizer. It's sort of a vitamin mineral supplement. And it has taken care for us. It has done a better job of greening up things that have uh, had a little bit of yellowing than anything we've ever used before. Okay, Azomite. Okay. Yeah, Azomite. A Z O M I T E. Okay, Azomite. And uh, there was, I've had uh, another. My peach trees, I've had them for at least eight years. Uh huh. And every every year they they, they bloom real nice. The uh, leaves real green, and then in spring with a whole bunch of little you know flowers, white flowers. Uh huh. They flower, and, and then uh, they just fall off. Every year, they never give any fruit. Well, they on. they should actually be pink flowers rather than white flowers. Plums tend to have white flowers, but um, it a lot can depend on the variety of peaches. I was talking to a caller a few minutes ago about one of the problems with a lot of what we call the low chilling varieties is that they tend to bloom too early, and then we get a little frost or something, and uh, the little you know fruit just gets frozen and never develops um if they bloom but don't ever you know set fruit that can be a sign that they're not getting pollinated and uh bees are in trouble we're just not seeing nearly the number of honeybees that we normally see so it is possible that it's just a pollination issue that uh uh, there, you just don't have the the bees or hummingbirds or some of the other things that do pollinate things may just not be getting the job of pollination done. So sometimes uh, this next spring, February or early March, when the trees come into bloom, you might want to get out there with just a little small paintbrush and just start dusting around, going from flower to flower. Just reach in and real quickly, just kind of you know, wave it around inside the plant, pick up some pollen, move to the next flower. And uh, that, you know, that will certainly, and, and we have to do this in the garden all the time these days with squash and cucumbers and things because, like I say, we just don't have the bees that we would have in a more typical year. So um, peaches not producing, uh, that are blooming but not producing, it's either a matter of poor pollination or it's a variety that blooms too early may get pollinated, but then we have a, a later frost that uh, kills the fruit before it can develop. And uh, we see both of those things every year. Yeah, I have uh, – there's a couple – There's because I have like five peach trees. Uh -huh. and, uh, there's a couple, couple of them will give me fruit, but really small. Once once it turns to maybe a quarter size, uh -huh. uh, they, fall, they fall off. Probably need to fertilize a little bit more, probably need to water a little more deeply. And if your trees are healthy and vigorous, um, we usually go through and thin the fruit out when it's still, you know, down the size of a marble or something, because uh, a tree is going to produce X number of pounds of fruit. And you can either have a lot of very small fruits or you can have a lower number of very large fruits. So uh, I, I think you need to increase your fertilizing in any event. Need to be sure they're getting adequate water. And if they are getting properly pollinated, they should give you nice edible fruit. Now, again, if you don't have good pollination, sometimes the fruit will start to develop, 
but then something in the tree senses that it doesn't have a seed in there. It hasn't been pollinated, and the fruit just falls off. So that could also be a sign of poor pollination. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, to tell you the truth, I think that my problem here is the bees. I, I hardly yeah. see any bees around here. Plant, yeah. plant, some, plant some more winter-blooming flowers. It will help bring the bees in. And uh, like I say, it, it only takes a few minutes. You can get out there two or three days while they're in bloom in the spring with a little paintbrush and dust around and do the job that the bees ought to be doing if you just don't have any bees. Uh, I'm going to do that this year. Very right, good. Year. And uh, how about the uh, apricot? Uh, do we have any luck with apricot trees? Apricots can be grown here, but apricot is one of those trees that always tries to bloom too early. Um, they and most years they bloom, but then they get frozen back. Uh, there's one variety they came out with called golden amber that tends to bloom over a longer period of time. So the later flowers sometimes produce apricots, but uh, and they're pretty tree, pretty flowers. But most years they just bloom too early, and then the fruit freezes before it can develop. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, this one blooms really nice. A lot of oh it's yeah. Beer and- but never, never produces any any fruit. Well, dig it up and take it to California, and it'll be very happy and give you a load there of fruit. But I don't think I could afford to live in California. <laughs> but that's Why? that's where your apricot really wants to be. True, true. Well, that's it, Bob. Thank you very much. It's always a pleasure, Gilbert. Always good to hear from you. And uh, you get out and have a good Sunday, and I will move along and talk to John next. Good morning, John. Good, good morning, Bob. Uh, I'm down in... Uh, 35 miles southwest of San Antonio out there in Medina County. All right, Real sir. Sandy soil. I got uh, some myrtles that I'm wanting to know if I can cut them back. Uh, the they're, they're real tall ones. Yeah. Um, I got one that's with a group of four. It's out of, you know, making the whole thing look out of balance. Sure. Sure. Uh, This would not be a good time of year. You certainly can cut them back, but we don't do a lot of pruning in October, um, September, October, because it's still warm enough that the plants will try to sprout out again. Then they won't have time to harden off and all the new growth will freeze. Uh, If you need to cut them back, you can do it toward the end of the summer, uh, June, July. Best time to cut them back is in February when they're just getting ready to put on their spring growth. So um, uh, I, I would I would hold off with your pruning because, like I say, the worst thing that happens when we prune now while it's still warm is they try to come out and then freeze, and that really can set the plants back. So, yeah, you're welcome to prune them, but February would be a better time than now. Okay. And then uh, how, how far down do I cut the main stalk? The bird bush out the, the yeah the best thing to do is to follow the stalks that you want to cut back follow them down to the point where they already have a little side shoot coming off it's pointing in a direction you would like it to develop we try not to cut them back at a random point that's what all those crazy people in houston do and we call it creep murder they just go through and just whack them off and then everywhere they cut a stem they've got about 15 little twigs try to come out and it makes them look weird and they just don't develop nearly as well so in general just follow the trunks you want to cut back follow them down to the point they already have a branch coming out pointing the right direction cut just above that point 
and they will put their growth into developing that. Uh, if you have to cut them where there are no side branches, just as soon as those little sprouts start coming out, uh, break off all except one or two of them. That, that little bird's nest of growth just isn't a healthy thing and kind of ruins the shape of the plant. So don't be guilty of crepe murder. Okay, great. Thank you very much, sir. That get them off? Yes. You get out and have a good Sunday, John, and we will talk Thank again. You. My pleasure. Looking at that clock, Omar. Hang on just a second. We'll get a break out of the way, and you'll be next. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right. Back to gardening and back to the phone lines. It's going to be Omar, Nancy, and Robbie. Good morning, Omar. Good morning, Bob. How are you doing? I'm off to a good start. How about yourself? Rainwater tanks are full. Grass is green. Cows are happy. We're, we're doing all right. <laughs> you're either delusional or you're somewhere other than I am. <laughs> we're, you know, we're we're on the western edge of Live Oak County, and we've been getting yeah. little rains every other day. It is something else. That's fantastic. Well, just just send it our way when you get enough, and it sounds like you're doing well. Um, I'm jealous, <laughs> but uh, you deserve it. You're a good gardener. Glad things are happening all right. Yeah. Um, first question is the asparagus that I started this spring, you know, it's in a 225 pound molasses tub and it, some of them are, you know, are in that two foot length and they're folded over and growing down the side. Do, do I need to trim that? You know, they're, they're real young, but do I, do I need to trim that or do I need to let it go for a year? The more green it has, the more energy it's, it's storing in those roots for next year's growth. So, um, anything that's yellowed or brown, yeah, snap that off. But anywhere you got green foliage, the plant's doing its job of absorbing the sun's energy and converting it into uh, chemical energy. So uh, I would leave your pruning shears put away. Now, once it freezes this winter, by all means, cut it back to an inch tall. If we have a winter where it never freezes, about the 1st of January, cut it back to an inch tall and force it to put on new growth. But right now, don't do a thing except just fertilize and water. Okay. I was going to cover it. I can move it. I was going to cover it and keep it from freezing this winter. Is that something that needs to be frozen back? Or No. Well, it, it's you're, you, you are going to have to at some point you know, cut it back just above ground level because the part we eat, of course, is the new spears that come out. Technically, the longer it stays green in the fall, the more nutrient it stores up. But in reality, as it gets cooler, as the days get shorter, um, I, you know, I suspect you're a busy man and as much as you've got to do, Covering your asparagus would be the last thing I would worry about doing. If you're okay. if you're bored and just looking for something to do, yeah, I'll find a way to protect it and keep it going up till the first of January. But uh, you'll be the only guy I know that does that. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. And uh, my mom had a little house built this year, and and we're trying to figure out what to do yard wise. And you know, she's got uh, uh, it's just bare bare dirt and growing weeds and a little bit of brush right now. But uh, we've, we're clearing off this and that. Uh, is there something you know on before we're going to lay some sod? I think TIFF, TIFF 419 is what what it is. 
And uh, is there something I need to put on top of the ground before the before the grass comes in to lay to lay that down, or, or just you put out a little fertilizer? You know, don't put any compost on because compost generates carbon dioxide and new grass or anything else. We want oxygen down around those roots. We don't want carbon dioxide. So, um, a little fertilizer, good organic fertilizer, would be the thing to put down the day before you're ready to lay the sod, but. Beyond that, no, I just, uh, you know, I just moisten it periodically, uh, do what you can for weed control. If you've got a little push-pull hole, just kind of get out there and snap stuff off. When do you anticipate you'll be putting your sod down, Omar? Well, I, I, I was trying to do it last month, and we hadn't got around to it yet. But we're just going to do a small area right now, and and then and then work on work on more next year, next spring. Well, uh, if you're gonna Tiff is, uh, it's a great grass as long as it's full sun. Tiff will be one of your best grasses yeah, you could, yeah. as hard as far as hardiness. But uh, um, if you don't get it done by the end of October, I put it off and do it in February. And uh, as I'm sure you well know, the most important thing you're going to do when you put that grass down, other than I, I tease my friends that went to a certain university over east of us, that uh, most important <laughs> thing is to get the green side up. But, <laughs> you know, beyond that, the most important thing you're going to do is rent one of these uh, water-fillable rollers. And yeah. um, you're not you're not trying to level it. You're just trying to take out the air pockets between the, the bottom of the piece of sod and the soil underneath. But... Rolling it uh, is is one step that many people forget to do, and then they end up with you know spots of the yard that are dead and spots of the yard that are green. So uh, uh, be sure and rent that roller and use it whenever you do get around to putting the grass down. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, I poke fun at them too, and especially the state agency they're affiliated with. So you're no, not, you're not man, the well, one. <laughs> state agency they're affiliated with are total nincompoops. Most, <laughs> and uh, as as one of them told me, he said, "Well, you know what they call one of us two years after we uh, graduate, don't you?" And I said, "What?" And he said, "Boss." <laughs> so they 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 get back at us a little bit, but uh, yeah, yeah. no, I I just uh, but and you know they're a land grant university. They live on donations they get from Monsanto and Peters and Scotts and all the guys that produce the stuff that's so so detrimental to what they're supposed to support, and that's agriculture. So. I'll get off that soapbox, but uh, just as long as you and I are doing it right, we're leading the way with a good example, and I guess that's about all we can hope for. Yeah, yeah, and I'm going to be trying to plant uh, uh, Mexican lime or key lime today and maybe maybe get around to the uh, – Myers lemon, but uh, but the ground is just it's just right right now for digging. So I figured I'd I'd take advantage of the day and do that too. Well, you can get the hole ready, but keep in mind that uh, the the limes are probably the least cold hardy of all the citrus. The lemons are hardier than the limes, but not as cold hardy as all. So if you're going to put them in the ground, uh, be sure that you're ready to protect those guys. And uh, if you have any more of those big molasses tubs, a lot of people will plant in that and then either use their you know, their fork or, you know, a little roller or something to move them around. But uh, Mexican lime is one that I would sure consider putting in a container that you can move it inside when we get real severe weather. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, the one that we had that the, the big freeze killed, you know, I was – I was yeah. real lucky. We had it ten week, ten years or so, and was able to protect it every every year. But uh, 
Yeah, I call them margarita trees because they're the, the juiciest, yeah. best little limes. And kind of like the kumquats, they can produce year-round. So uh, yes. Um, yes. whereas like the lemons, you get lots of lemons, but they all come at one time. But uh, you've got your day's work lined up for you. Hope the weather cooperates. And uh, like I say, when you, when you get tired of the rain, you just feel free to send it over our way. I will try to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Omar. Have a great Sunday. Yes, sir. All right, let's see. Nancy's next in line. Good morning, Nancy. Yeah, good morning, Bob. Um, good morning. Have, uh, uh, scarlet uh, clematis. They've been in the ground. Probably this is the second year, and uh-huh. they look terrible. I have a little trellis, and um, they – should I cut it down to the ground, or should I just leave no. it all the leaves? Look, I, okay. leave, leave it on. Clematis is one plant that – in the winter months, it looks totally dead. You would swear that that plant has no life whatsoever in those thin little brown stems. And then in the spring, it leaves out and blooms way up on those stems. So uh, if you've got yellow leaves or brown leaves, go through and individually clip the leaves off. But no matter how dead those stems look, leave them alone because most of them are alive, and that's going to give you your growth in your flowers next spring. Now, um there's some clematis that do well here. Uh, my partner has a beautiful white one that actually is in bloom now. But uh, she was going through recently, just taking all the dead leaves off. And I swear that plant, it just you would you just you just know it's dead. It looks so bad in the winter months, but then yeah. it comes out way up at the top of the plant. So uh, don't get carried away with cutting the stems. Just take off the bad leaves. Okay. All right. I'll just leave it alone. I have two of them. And another thing, uh, the amaryllis, um, uh, they haven't bloomed. I planted them from a pot into the uh-huh. ground, and they have bloomed in uh, several years. And um, I know with the drought and everything, they, they don't produce the leaves. And should I uh, dig them back up and uh, put them in a, a pot again? And what What area do you live in, Nancy? Uh, Bernie. Okay. Um, the the big flowered amaryllis. Uh, they're properly called hippie astrum. They're not. They're not really amaryllis, and they tend to get too cold in the winter when they're planted in the ground, unless you're just constantly covering them. Uh, I like them in pots. I think they're much easier because you can control the watering. You can force them into dormancy, which is what will bring them into bloom the next spring. Now, the old-fashioned red uh, amaryllis johnsoni, the American amaryllis, they do fine in burning. That's what I have there. Yeah, well, and those just uh, water them, fertilize them, um, and like I say, stop watering them by October. Well, by the end of October, just completely stop watering them. That's what will force them to put on that beautiful show of flowers uh, January, February next year. But, um, no, I, you, you've got the right one. Maybe put a little mulch over them in the winter and do feed them. This time of year is when they're storing up their energy to make next spring's flowers. So take really good care of them in the fall then abuse them, and then normally they'll come back out and give you the pretty red flowers early in the spring. Okay. Uh, And another question I have, I don't really like indoor plants, but I have this ponytail palm I'm trying to uh, revive (laughs) that uh, is a friend's. I'm trying to take care of it for, but uh, I I took it out of the pot because it was a huge pot, and they like to be root-bound, and I put it outside because they like sunlight, they're succulent, and... Um, it is just not the top of where 
the ponytail comes out is is really dry and it, all the way down to the cortex. Uh, is it going to live or should I just buy a new one? Well, as long as that big old bulb remains firm, uh, it almost certainly will come out. Remember, they cannot take any freezing weather, and yeah. they, you know, like you said, they like to be root-bound. Um, they like to get moderately dry between waterings, but uh, most of the really big ones, uh, nowadays a lot of them are grown from seed and spend their lives starting out in a greenhouse. But 30 years ago when we were starting our nursery, or 40 years ago, however long it's been, uh, we would buy things out of the Rio Grande Valley, and you would see them coming across the border where a a state bed truck would probably have 500 you know, plants in it, and the ag department required them to cut all the roots off, cut the tops off for some misguided reason, trying to keep insects or they weren't even there out or something. Uh, but they bring them across the border, they pot them up, and 99 out of 100 of them would just sprout out and grow and do beautifully. So as long as that big bulb area, and it's not a bulb, it just looks like a bulb, but as long as that is solid, uh, you is. water it, you fertilize it, you keep it from freezing, and it should come back out and make a beautiful plant. Okay, so I've only been, I put it in a partial sun. I know they like sun, uh, mm -hmm. and uh, I've been watering it just once a week, and I gave it some uh, has to grow and uh, some other fertilizers. Sure. Uh, well, anyway. and it may it may need to be watered more often than that. And uh, starting it out in partial sun is fine, but if when you move it inside for the winter, it needs to be in a window that gets absolute full bright sun. Remember, in nature, these are desert plants. They grow in the deserts of northeastern Mexico. So, uh, hot bright sun as long as you get used to it gradually. That's what they prefer to really thrive. Okay. All right. I, I'm going to try to keep it alive. I just hope so. I think you will be able to. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Bob. You're welcome, Nancy. Thank you. Uh, Don, guess we got to get a break in here, and then Robbie will be next. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. It's going to be Robbie and then Judy, so let's get started with Robbie. Good morning, Robbie. Good morning. How are we doing? Off to a good start. How about yourself? Myself. Good. Hey, I have a question. I have a pecan tree that's probably 40-plus years old. Okay. And all the leaves are brown on it. Okay. Is this in your landscape where... Whereabouts is this tree? Right next to my house. Yeah, it's almost certainly drought. Um, pecan trees. It's it's like the ones that are planted in yards. They they're kind of wimps in a way because they've always you know gotten all the water they need. They really didn't have to spread their roots out a whole lot. I look on my own ranch and the pecan trees that are along my creek. Uh, have grown very beautifully, and now they're all brown because the creek dried up about a year ago and they have no water. The ones that are out in the field 100 yards away, they're totally green and beautiful because they were forced to develop a really widespread root system. And I don't think it's anything more than drought, but if there's any way that you can really soak the area around that tree, do so, because um, I back in 2011 this happened, and I actually had... 12, 15-inch pecan trees die because they got too dry. 
Um, I have a friend with a rental property here in San Antonio that uh, the tenant let two same-sized trees just die by not, not watering in the summer. So even though they're a native tree, uh, if they're out in a pasture or something like that, they're probably going to be fine because we've got a much wider, broader root system. But in a landscape, if you stop watering them, they're really going to suffer. So uh, I, they just don't get any diseases. They just don't get any serious insects. So uh, it's pretty much just got to be the drought. Well, I never, I mean, watered a lot because I can't mm-hmm. afford it. Right. So I, I really think, the, you know, the roots are, are out there. But I'm just really concerned if, if they still stay on the tree, does, is that a good sign, bad sign? Bad sign. Bad sign if they stay on the trees. I'll tell you what I do with some things around my landscape where I don't just have enough water to really water them regularly. Uh, my air conditioner, I have hooked up the, you know, where it dribbles the water out the side. I've probably got 30 feet of pipe out there that divert that water around. And I've kept some, you know, perennials and things like that. Uh, growing and blooming without giving them a drop of my well water and if there's any way that you can divert the water from your washing machine divert the condensate that comes out of your air conditioner uh, that's good water and uh, doesn't cost you a penny to recycle it so to speak yeah i have my my washing machine going out on the backyard but the problem is this tree's on the other side of all of that (laughs) well it's and in most cases it's pretty cheap and pretty easy to uh you know just put a hose bib uh or a you know a a connector with uh hose threads rather than pipe threads and you know run a hose from where that water's coming out uh uh, around to the tree just and it, it the tree really needs water and i certainly understand the problems with drought restrictions and the cost of water these days but uh, uh i'm i'm virtually certain that that's what that's what you're looking at is just the trees getting too dry if it was dropping leaves i wouldn't be that concerned but when they turn brown and stay on the tree that's a sign that the tree is is not doing well okay is there anything else i can like to see uh uh The uh, sick tree treatment will help, but a good start would be to get a little bottle of this stuff called Super Thrive. It's in a little brown bottle, yellow label on it. It reads like snake oil if you read the fine print on it, but I've seen that bring back plants that I thought were dead. It's the greatest anti-shock material, that along with... uh, uh, Howard Garrett's uh, product that he calls Garrett Juice. The whole sick tree treatment program would be good, but in the short run, uh, short run, Super Thrive and uh, and uh, Garrett Juice would be the two things I would try to put on the tree along with some water. And how often would I need to apply that? Oh, you probably need to water it now if you can every couple of weeks. You need to use the Super Thrive and Garrett Juice uh, every four to six weeks. Oh, and I want to tell you thank you for your advertisement of Mark uh, Williamson, the dentist. Oh, yeah. Isn't he a neat man? He is wonderful. If anybody is terrified of a dentist, he's the one to go to. Well, even if you're not terrified, he's he's a a heck of a good dentist and, and as you've discovered, a wonderful man. And he's got the best staff uh, over there, too, and uh, just, just nice, nice people. I... I stop by the office periodically just to say hi. Yeah, 
every time I go there, I think of that car, uh, courtyard. I'm like, man, somebody should start a garden in there. <laughs> Do they still have the tennis courts down there? I know that's at one point what they've done with it. Uh, garden would be a much, a much better use, in my opinion, but unfortunately a lot of people don't agree with me there. Well, you have a blessed day. You do the same. Sure, appreciate it, Robbie. And thanks for the, thanks for the nice words. I'll uh, pass them along to Mark next time I see him. Thank okay. you so much. Okay, bye. I uh, tell you what, Judy, it's only about a minute till news time, so I don't want to don't want to try to rush you along. Uh, let me just remind everybody that fall fertilizing is your single most important fertilizing of the year. And even in the heat, even in the drought, when you're using a good organic product. Uh, it's fine to put it out, and you don't have to water it in, but do get it put out. Your grass, your trees, your shrubs, everything in the landscape really needs to be fed. As far as flowers, I think it's cooled off enough. You can think about dianthus and petunias and snapdragons. When it gets a little cooler, we'll be talking Johnny Jump Ups. Uh, when it gets a lot cooler, we'll be talking pansies, but there's no reason to have a drab yard. If your summertime flowers are playing out, there are things that you can plant that will bloom all fall, grow through the winter, and bloom again in the spring. Out in the vegetable garden, lots of things to do. Your root crops, radishes, beets, carrots, turnips, those things can all go in the ground. Broccoli, cauliflower, kale, cabbage, those things can all go in the ground. Uh, certainly garlic and shallots. Anyway, don't, <laughs> you've got a lot to do out there. This is KTSA Radio. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. All right. There's actually one line open. You dial that number and you can grab it. And uh, first in line, though, is going to be Judy and then Mike and then Nancy. And let's just go on with these phone calls. Judy's up first. Good morning, Judy. Good morning. Good morning. This huge fig tree. Uh huh. And it's and is there any way I can cut it down or or not? I don't want to cut it down. I just want to trim it a little bit. Like I know it's going to freeze. Mm-hmm. Part of it will freeze. Whatever way to do. Wait until midwinter when it has dropped all its leaves, and then you cut it back as much or as little as you want to. You don't want to do it this time of year because we're still warm. When you prune this time of year, you stimulate new growth, which is not cold-hardy, and uh, it really sets the plant back when it puts all this energy into making new growth, and then it just freezes off. So uh, after the leaves have dropped in the winter, late December into January, early February, you get out your shears and you prune it as much or as little as you want to, and it'll come out beautifully. So uh, I'll get you off the hook for doing any work right now, but it's a fine thing to do later in the winter. Okay. Well, that's good to know because we it just gave us figs all summer, which was wonderful. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you and the birds enjoyed them a great deal, I'm sure. Yes, we did. Um Okay, I also have grass. I planted some grass probably over a year ago that was shade tolerant. Well, the stuff that wasn't all under shade is looking pretty pretty sick. Okay. Uh, was this a so type of St. Saint Augustine? Augustine? It was St. Augustine. Well, tell okay. me the shade. Okay. And I'll tell you the kind I planted without looking it up. It's either so Palmetto or Del Mar, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, one of those. It was Palmetto. I'm pretty sure. Okay. So, 
And then I had part, some of it was in full sun, and that just looks terrible. So I guess I'm thinking I'm just going to plant, um, the, what is the, oh, the grass that just does good no matter what. Well, oh, if you want... If you if you want something green this winter, you can also plant you plant some perennial rye. But for all of your grass, St. Augustine or anything else, fall is a time when the best thing you can do is put a thin layer of compost over it. That St. Augustine should tolerate the sun. If it's burning, it's a sign that it's either not getting the water it needs or it's just not as strong. But what I am telling people that if you've got a yard that really needs to be rejuvenated, reincarnated, whatever, the single most important things to do would be to put down a thin layer of fertilizer and then a thin layer of compost on top of that. If you do that now, I think you'll be amazed at how that grass will come out uh, in the spring for you. But after after this terrible summer, as far as the plants are concerned, um, a top dressing of compost is just going to work miracles over the winter months. Okay, I think it will, but that one that's exposed to full sun all the time, I think I'm just going to change out the grass. You can do that if you like, but wait until next year to do it because, like I say, you, you feed this fall, you give it some compost. Uh, that grass, it can grow beautifully. Believe me, the places they grow it, even though it's more toward Baytown or Houston, where most of it comes from, it's grown out in full sun before they harvest it and bring it to you. So, um, it, it, like I say, judge how it comes out in the spring before you think about replacing it. That's expensive and that's a lot of work that I don't want you to have to go to if you can avoid it. I think you're going to be amazed if you do the compost in all this fall. If we get back to a little bit more typical weather, which means a little more natural rainfall, I think you may find it actually does does just fine for you next year. Okay. All right. So, all right. Very good. And the other thing is I, I, my tomato I planted in August is looking kind of puny, but then there could be a reason for that too. But okay. Well, keep fertilizing, keep fertilizing, keep watering on your tomatoes. Uh, if they're big fruited tomatoes, they need to put some, uh, they need to get some fruit set in the next few weeks. If they're cherry tomatoes, be patient with them. You'll, you'll have more tomatoes than you can eat in November and December. So what happens if I move it to a different area? Is it in a pot or is it planted in the ground? No, it's in the ground. Be hard to dig it successfully in this kind of heat. Uh, if it's a little bitty, if it's only six, eight inches tall, you could transplant that. But if it's grown, you know, two, three feet tall, um, it, you, you'll kill it trying to move it. Okay. I kind of thought that, but I thought I'd ask. Well, I right. hope I'm saving you some work today, but I'll make some more work for you in the long run. But uh, don't get out in the heat and be doing things that are not going to give you any any return. And uh that includes ripping up grass and transplanting tomato plants. You you put out the compost, you water, you fertilize, and things will get better. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate It's my Talk pleasure. All right, Judy. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Uh, next in line is Mike. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Bob. And Good morning, Bob. And please forgive the background noise. I'm in a restaurant. 
<laughs> Lucky you, I'm hungry. <laughs> yes. Uh, something you said a little earlier about the pecan trees, uh, that if um, the uh, tree just sort of dries up and the leaves stay on the tree, then mm-hmm. like it's, it's a goner or something like that? Well, it's, it's not a good sign. Um, if a tree browns and then drops its leaves, that's just what it's doing to cut down on the amount of transpiration, the amount of water that it's losing out through the leaves. When the leaves turn brown and stay attached to the tree, many times, most of the time, that's a sign there's a serious problem with the tree. Some of them survive, some of them don't. Okay, because uh, on my Mexican sycamore that I planted about six months ago, mm-hmm. um, you know, it was green when I planted it, and then it started, you know, drying up with the intense heat we had and everything. And uh, uh, then we got that halfway decent rain uh, about a month mm-hmm. or so ago, and uh, you know, it greened up right away. More, more leaves started coming out, and mm-hmm. now it's gone again uh, to where well, you know the, the uh, yeah, leaves I'm, died off. I'm not as concerned on your sycamore, Mike, as I am on a pecan. Because sycamores, they can go through this cycle, and sometimes they drop their leaves, sometimes they don't. Do get it some water. Do continue to spray up and down the trunk if you can. But, uh, yeah, it's it's not nearly as bad if a sycamore does that as it is if a pecan tree does that or an elm tree does that. Yeah, yeah, that was my concern that, you know, that the rule that you made about, you know, if they stay on there, it's, it's almost what's well, not a good sign i thought it applied <laughs> to all trees well there's there's an exception to every rule that's out there and i guess the sycamore is going to be the exception to that one okie dokie thank you i appreciate it bob well always a pleasure thank you sir um goodbye i uh, tell you what uh, nancy hang on just a second let me get a break out of the way here so we don't have to rush you we'll be right back with more calls South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening and back to the phone lines. It's going to be Nancy and Dennis and Carolyn. Nancy's first in line. Good morning, Nancy. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. I have a question, which I think I already know the answer, but um, I have the tomatoes, and I we spoke earlier in the spring, and I had I planted the wrong tomatoes in the wrong time. So it's the good old boys undetermined. Uh huh. Yeah. And uh, so they've been giving us tomatoes, but they're small. They're not growing. And they are turning red, but they are, they are not growing big. Well, they, part they, of it, uh, yeah, part of it is just the weather. I mean, everybody that I know that grows tomatoes, they have beautiful tomatoes in the spring. And I don't know anybody that is really proud of their tomatoes this fall so it's not all you and hopefully we will have some cooling down soon hopefully we'll have some rain before the really cold weather gets here and i think you'll see that uh, those better boys or whichever ones you have are going to get bigger are going to improve but uh it's just been a tough year on tomatoes and like i say i i don't know a single person that's bragging about their tomatoes this fall so uh uh, I'd be okay. a little patient with them, and don't beat yourself up about it. It's it's what Mother Nature's doing to us, not what you're failing to do. Okay, so regarding the leaves, because the stock is pretty thick and it's you know full, but 
but the mm-hmm. bottom portion, the leaves are are brown. Should I take off those leaves or leave them on? What's it's up to you. If you've got nothing okay. better to do, trim them off and make it look a little bit better. But it's just kind of like really cutting your hair. The the plant doesn't really care. You're just cutting off dead tissue. So it will make okay. it more attractive to take off those dead leaves, but it's not going to make it grow any better. Okay. And then for the first time, I think now I know what sticker birds are, and I have them inside my uh, potato uh, vine. Uh-huh. And uh, so I have to pull them out, but anything else that I could do to, you know, prevent, I don't know, next year's well, growing? Well, try, try to pull them before those uh, this year's burrs, before they turn brown and get back into the soil. Uh, they're okay. not that hard to control in a pot. It's going to be, you know, put on your garden glove so you don't get prickled. But uh, in the yard, people that have been fighting sticker burrs, we tell them put on a layer of compost in the fall, and it really does a lot to take care of. But in your pot of uh, potato vine, your best bet is just to carefully, I mean, water the vine first because it's going to make the uh, sticker burr plants easier to pull out and get the roots. But, yeah, it's just, uh, um, and believe me, I in the beds here at the nursery and, you know, flower pots, things like that, the blasted burrs, I guess they blow in or something. But on those, it's, it's best to just, just pull them. But if you have any problem with them in the yard, a little compost in the fall really takes care of them. Okay. All right. That does it for me. I'm really happy about what you told me about the tomatoes because I was really, really well, you call me. You call me in that. six weeks or so, and uh, let's see how much better they're doing. Sounds great. Thank you so much for <laughs> okay. all your time and experience. You know, it's always my pleasure. Thank you. Thank um, you. Goodbye. You're welcome. Uh, let's see. I believe Dennis is up next. Good morning, Dennis. Hello, Dennis the Menace here. How you doing? <laughs> you don't sound too menacing to me, but uh, I'm doing well. Hope you are okay, too. That's good. Uh, we have a uh, a Mexican fan palm, uh, as you want to call it, a tree or a bush. Uh, it's about 71 inches or so from the foundation, and uh, the wife is concerned that if the roots are spreading out wide, would that go underneath the, the, the foundation? It's pretty you close a, to the house. You're home on a slab, or is it pure and beam? A slab. Oh, tell her, stop worrying. It's There's nothing underneath a slab. The tree roots want there's no oxygen there's no moisture there's no nutrient uh those roots will grow right up normally at the edge of a slab you have what's called a grade beam and the roots will grow up next to it but they will not go under it and even if they did they would not hurt anything uh tell her to stop worrying about it uh (laughs) now if it were an if it were an oak tree if it were a pecan tree and the tree was there, and then the slab was poured on top of it, yeah, you might have an issue somewhere down the way. But when the slab's yeah. there first, and then the tree comes along later, no tree is going to be a real problem, and a palm tree is going to be less than zero chance that you would ever have any trouble with it. Well, that's now, good to hit on that, but uh, we've been in the house about uh, 50 years, and we do have a, uh, a huge uh uh, pecan tree at the driveway, really close to the slab, and the slab starting to buck, uh, starting to buckle up. So, do before you get too carried away with anything, and uh, you know, it would not surprise me at all that pecan tree could mess up a driveway. But the chance of going under the house of your slab is really pretty minimal. And if okay. you get really concerned about it, uh, find an arborist who has an air spade. Uh, I highly recommend a company called Etter, E-T-T-E-R, Etter Tree Care, 
Matter of fact, we're going to have to get them out here to the nursery with uh, an air spade to uncover a tree that we've discovered has girdling roots. But uh, they can go right along the edge of your slab. Uh, it's it's an interesting piece of equipment. I understand it was actually developed by the Army to uncover landmines without detonating them, but uh, you don't have that. But it, uh, it, it enables them to blow the soil away from the base of the tree, and, and I've seen pictures. Ed sent me pictures before of where they've gone along a foundation where people were really concerned, blew all the soil away, and, man, there's a mass of roots up against the foundation, but there's nothing underneath, and they're not causing any problems. So uh, the way to deal with that, if you're really concerned, uh, is, is get a good arborist with an air spade to uncover that area. If there are any roots that potentially might be a problem, they can cut them at that point. But um, it, it's still highly unlikely, uh, unless that okay. pecan tree is older than the house. And if there well, were some roots... Uh, oh, go ahead. Uh, if there well, were anyway, roots... The pecan tree's been there when we moved in the house. We've been here uh, uh, 50 years. Of course, it's grown quite a bit since we moved here, too, so... Well, well it, what's the name it, of that company again? Oh, it's Etter E T T E R Etter Tree Care. Etter um, Tree Care, okay. Yeah, and if I I'm going by memory, but I think it's right. Uh, um, now let's see, it's six eight four tree six eight four eight seven three three. Google it to be sure. Uh, or I'm sorry, six five four eighty seven thirty three. It's been a while since I, since I dialed that, but. Uh, Okay. Uh, tree service. Okay. Yeah, yeah. They're they're very very reputable and um, they're always busy. So it may take them a little while to get to you, but uh, they're good. They're okay. honest. Ed's extremely well trained. Degree in uh, forestry and also a uh, good company to know know of. Okay. Well, thank you, Bob. Sure appreciate it. You have a nice day. You do thank the you. same, Dennis. It's a yeah. pleasure to hear from you. Thank you. Right. All right, Bye-bye. Don. I guess uh, we better get a break in here, and then we'll talk to Carolyn. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right. Uh, Looks like we're going to talk to Carolyn and Susie and Cindy. Carolyn is up first. Good morning, Carolyn. Good morning. Good morning. I'm in the Fort Worth area. Okay. I'm wondering if you have an... a, a b- brand or something of beets and turnips to plant. I've planted turnips a couple of times, and um, I get tops but no bottoms. And I'm thinking they put the seeds in the package that had had uh, just the tops, turnip tops or something. Well, in all honesty, most of the time with turnips, it's a sign that they're not getting thinned out enough. They don't like okay. to be too close to their neighbors, and... Uh, the old uh, purple top, oh, golly, I'd have to think hard. It's been a while since I grew turnips. But um, with turnips, they, they just have to really be spread out, like four inches between plants. Oh. Uh, otherwise, otherwise, they will be all tops and no roots. Okay, and, that's uh, probably what happened, yeah. Yeah, and the same thing is true with beets. Now, with beets, uh, there's one called Detroit Dark Red that is one of the best of the bigger red beets. Uh, there's another variety called Chidori, C-H-I-D-O-R-I, and they're multicolored. Some of them will be yellow, some of them will be almost pink, oh, some I, of them will be red. The red. Yes. Yeah, yes. Detroit dark red is uh, going to be uh, is going to be hard to beat on that one. 
But with beet seeds, normally that it looks like a little burr of some sort. That's normally the capsule the seeds are inside of. Normally there are four seeds inside of what you would think is one seed. It's not practical to try to break them open and get them out, but it's important to realize that from that one little spot, you may have four plants come up. you got to pull three of them out. Now, you can eat them. You don't have to throw them away. Uh, beet sprouts are absolutely delicious. But the uh, problem where you're getting all tops and no, uh, no beets or no turnips is just you're not thinning them out enough. Uh, let them get up to where they have their first true leaves on them and then thin and enjoy the thinnings. Okay. I've got a comment on my tomatoes. I know people call in about tomatoes. Yes, ma'am. I never pulled mine out this summer. And they're, uh-huh. they're, they're still about six foot tall, green, and they're putting on flowers again. And I never pulled them out, you know. You're and a good gardener. Flowers have been on for at least a week or two. And uh-huh. even though it's cooled down, they haven't made little tomatoes yet. I checked them yesterday, and they still didn't make little tomatoes. Mm-hmm. Well. You keep watering, keep feeding, you should get tomatoes, and my hat's off to you. You're a good gardener to have brought those plants through this terribly hot summer, but I I think there's a good chance you're going to get tomatoes this fall. Okay, and eggplant, I think I picked, uh, I used the itchy bond, and I think I picked about 10 of them a couple of days ago on four plants. I mean, oh, my gosh. But (laughs) no squash, I'm I'm not going to say I'm a good gardener. I could no squash this summer of any kind and i usually have loads of squash so i i think the weather is just picking and choosing well the weather and the lack of bees uh you know my garden well then then you you should have gotten squash and cucumbers um next spring will probably be better uh there this was just an off year for a lot of things and like i say early in the year Everything seemed to do well when that July heat hit. Nothing did real well. So uh, yeah. I'm I'm going to still think he was a pretty do, darn good gardener to get those tomatoes through. Well, uh, uh, you mentioned uh, cucumbers, and so that that brought up a question: What do I do about cucumber beetles? I mean, they were they were pretty heavy this summer. And the two things that will work against them, um, if you get them early, the spinosad soap is safe for you and pets and kids and everything, but does a pretty good job against cucumber beetles. But cucumber beetles are also one group that are very attracted to these what we call sticky traps. They're like little yellow squares that, I mean, they're, they're like the stickiest glue you've ever seen. And for whatever reason, the cucumber beetles are really attracted to that yellow color. Uh, you can get them at most good nurseries. They're very, very inexpensive. So put some sticky traps, some yellow sticky traps out around oh. your oh. Uh, plants, and, and you'll eliminate most of the cucumber beetles. Okay. And then uh, my turnips, I just have to look for the purple, uh, the globe. I use Yeah, them. it's – uh, I think it's – I'd, well, I'd, I'd have to go look at a seed package, but I think your problem is not variety. I think you just need to thin them a little bit more, and you should oh, be fine. Okay. okay, thank you very much. Mm-hmm. You are certainly welcome. Thank you for uh, calling me this morning. I enjoy visiting with you. Thank you. Okay. Goodbye. Bye. Okay. Goodbye. All right. Well, I think we better go ahead and get another break in here so we don't run out of time, and Susie and Cindy will be up next. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. 
Very good. Well, looking ahead, uh, looks like it's going to be Susie and Cindy and Zach. Since we're running the show, <laughs> it's going by in a hurry. Let's get back to the phone lines. Good morning, Susie. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you this morning? Great, thank you. It's good. sparkling here just a little bit. <laughs> Don't talk about it or it'll go away. You know what they say. Okay. You talk about okay. things, if it's bad, it happens. If it's good, it goes away. So we'll just know that it's happening in your area and hope that it does a lot more of it for you. Oh, thank you much. Um, <laughs> I live north of Stonewall, okay. and I've noticed that there are quite a few cedars dying is that due to the drought absolutely some, uh, some are little and some are big yeah we're seeing the same thing and it's typically if you could dig down you find it there in areas where the soil is most shallow but uh yeah they're they're going yellow to brown and brittle and they were a bad enough fire hazard when they were green but they're even worse now so you know just every precaution you possibly can take against wildfire but that's just drought and nothing more and most of them will be dead most of them are not going to come back out if they're once they're turning that brown even a rain doesn't usually bring them back okay well that could be good but yet we have oak wilt out here too so sure you know i've got the best <laughs> the best and the worst at the same time here. i welcome to texas yes yes also i also have another question please I would, um, we put our grass down, we put down the, uh, Tiff Tuff Bermuda. Yeah. When we, when we built our home in, uh, 2017 and I overwatered it and I gave it take all root rot. My question is if I were to get a scraper out here and scrape up maybe the top two inches of soil and the, the, body grass that I have, could I then put down some some new grass, or what would you suggest? I don't think you need to do that. I would uh, I'd do three things. I'd put a little cornmeal down, just uh, whole ground cornmeal you get from the feed store, cheapest you can find. That will take care of virtually any fungal problem that is getting after your grass. Um, I would put some compost. I'd put down maybe a quarter of an inch of compost over your Tiff Bermuda, and I would fertilize. Uh, go to watering no more than once a week, and I think you will be amazed at how much of that grass will come back out. I truly don't think in any case you're going to have to resod. Uh, it's just we're going to have to wait and see how much it comes back and how thick, and then we might talk about other things we need to do. But uh, I would do cornmeal fertilizer and compost, and I think you're going to be amazed at how good your grass will look when it comes out next spring. Okay. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Oh, let me ask you one more quick question. I have an oak sure. tree in this. I, I have a, I'm not certain if it's three oak trees or if it's one oak tree that has three trunks. Okay. But the one in the middle is in the, it's, they're all in the, it's all in the middle of my, uh, front of my house in circle mm -hmm. driveway. The center tree, I've had to have three, uh, two branches removed so far, and now I see another dying branch, and it's all coming from the center one. Got any ideas? Um, and what? how does this develop and progress? Does just the whole limb suddenly turn brown? 
Um, and are the leaves staying on the limb? Are they dropping off? Uh, how does it start and how does it progress? Okay, the leaves are, well, it's obvious from the leaf. The leaf is turning brown. Okay. And they stay on the, the, the limb, but I did have the first one I had cut down, the first limb I had removed, there was a something on the inside of the core of the tree. There was okay. a dark spot. Well, and that's that's not necessarily unusual. Chances are that it is it is multiple trees rather than just one with three trunks. And chances are you've got an issue with the roots from one or both of the others uh, doing what we call root girdling. They don't have to go all the way around the trunk. Just a root from a different tree or sometimes a tree's own roots, if it's pressed up very tightly against the trunk, that tree will go downhill. That tree may actually end up dying from root girdling. And at some point, if you can, what I would suggest is... uh, I was talking to a, a caller earlier about a totally different problem, uh, but uh, a, a good arborist will have what's called an air spade that they can use to dig without disturbing the roots. I'd get an arborist who has an air spade and have him come out and kind of explore around the base of that tree. What I think you're going to find are girdling roots. Many times that girdling root can be cut, and the problem will start getting better almost immediately. It's not a it's not a do-it-yourself product project because a lot of times girdling roots are stretched very taut, almost like a rubber band. <coughs> Excuse me. And when they're cut, they can literally pop. It can be disastrous if somebody's using a chainsaw and don't know don't know what they're doing. So it is a job for a for an arborist, somebody that knows what they're doing. But I would talk to and i'm not sure who up in your area would be the best but uh find an arborist that has a tree spade understands girdling roots and at the very least have them come out and uncover at least the root flare of the tree and see what they find i'd almost bet you that you're going to find a big root pressing up against the side of the tree and what often happens is the limbs that die interestingly enough are on that side of the tree where you have the girdling root but what you're describing doesn't sound like oak wilt. It doesn't sound like hypoxylin. It doesn't sound like, you know, any of the other things you can get oak trees. I think it's a physical problem, and that's where I would start investigating. Okay, wonderful. Thank you so much. I truly appreciate your show. It's wonderful. And well, I appreciate you listening, and even more appreciate your calling. You get out and have a wonderful Sunday, and uh, let me know if you get somebody out. Let me know what you find with that tree. Okay, sure will. Thank you. Have a good day. You too, Susie. Thank you. Goodbye. Don, let's get our last break of the show in so we know how much time we have, and then we'll visit with Cindy and Zach. Yeah, I can't wait to get on the boat again. 
Oh, no, that's a that's a wonderful little little parody on Willie there. <laughs> but it, it makes sense. Can't wait to get on that boat again. Uh, oh, thanks for your good fishing song. If you don't know, Mr. Don Cooper Stevens, the engineer, every other Saturday or every other weekend usually, and uh, we always get a fishing song for the last break of the Sunday show. <laughs> I'll be laughing about that one all day. I've uh, got a little time left here to talk. Let's see if we can get uh, Cindy and Zach and Corinne in. We start with Cindy. Good morning, Cindy. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I have questions about transplanting plants. Okay. We, we had a very large red bud that was diseased that we had to take down, so now we have sun. Uh-huh. And underneath there, I had an American beautyberry. Okay. Do I transplant that in the fall or the spring? Do it during cold weather. You know, wait till all the leaves are off the beautyberry. Probably wait until the birds eat most of the berries themselves. I'm going to tell you probably the best time is going to be end of January, 1st of February. Okay. In in the freeze? Yeah. Yeah, freezing weather doesn't bother beautyberries, and it's when... Uh, it's when they'll be under the least amount of stress because you are going to cut a lot of roots in moving it. Uh, but that's going to be the very best time of year to do it. Uh, replant it, fertilize, put some mulch around it, and there's very high percentage chance it'll survive and grow well for you. Okay. And then I have a blue sky vine. I have several of them, but one <laughs> of them I need to move. Um climbing up my trees. Um, yeah, again, that one I might actually wait a little later in the spring. It's, uh, um, they're just, they're not totally cold hardy, so I'd hate to move it this time of year when we're just coming into the cold season. That one, it's, you know, it's not going to do anything over the winter months anyway, so there's no rush. That one, I'd probably suggest transplanting sometime around the 1st of March. Yeah, I was thinking, let it die down, and then when it comes back up. That's exactly right. Okay. Okay. And then I have a salvia gregii that I want to move. Do I move mm-hmm. it? it co- let it cool off just a little bit and then move it any time you like. Um, once it cools off, any time between now and March will be a good time to move it. Okay. All right. Okay. I think that's it. That's all. Well, you, you you tell Miss Cherry hello, and you guys have a good Sunday, and no, we'll talk again, and Zach is next in line. Good morning, Zach. Hi, good morning. Morning, sir. Good. Um, I have a couple of questions. Um, we live in Cross Mountain Ranch. We're on a couple of acres. Uh, okay. It helps us various scenarios. We have um, a backyard that is kind of more for our or dog pen, I should say. It's about six by eight. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we, we live to serve our, our canine friends, so I understand. Yes, sir. And, and so while our Great Pyrenees and our Golden Retriever don't seem to mind it too much, it's just kind of falling apart uh, probably because of the drought. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of decided to stop watering it, and I was getting ready to kind of come up with a new sustainable plan for it uh, based on the lack of water that we've had the last couple right. of years. Right, Um couple things uh one is that it's kind of on a slope and so i was thinking about possibly regrading some of it and maybe putting in some rock feature you know to hold up some soil so the water just mm-hmm. wouldn't run off and then i was thinking of putting um you know, providing a little more shade to the areas that have just been beaten down by the sun and obviously no grass has been able to kind of survive in those areas right um 
so my questions are one was what kind of materials for grading you know if it's probably you know maybe it's two feet from one side of the yard to the other across maybe 60 feet yeah what kind of material bases do you recommend there before we start you know applying any sort of landscaping or not? um it really depends on what you're looking for. I do not like landscape timbers. I do not like railroad ties. There are some decorative cast stone products that you'll see used. I'm a big fan of native stone. I love dry stack native stone. You're not building a four-foot-high wall. Uh, you're basically terracing it down. So my choice, and we've got several good material yards around where you can get stone at uh, a reasonable price, but uh, and it's some I've actually done in, in my own landscape. Is uh, of course I don't have to buy stone. I've got ten million tons of it. It just go yeah. pick it up. But uh, I would think about dry stacking. You know, some stone. You're going to cut down into that grade, and you can probably just put the soil that you take out because you don't want to just put it right on top of the ground. You want to cut down a little bit. You're probably going to come up two or three stones high, and the dirt that you take out doing that, you can then put behind this little terracing wall that you've created. If you need to add a little more soil, if you need to add a little bit more compost, you can certainly do that. And um, that's that's how I would solve that problem, and I think it'd be a very good thing to do. As far as the pups, if they have, and they're always puppies to me. I don't care if they're ten years old and 110 pounds, especially that Great Pyrenees. They're still puppies. But um, if they have a given area that they run consistently, instead of trying to replant any kind of plants, you might think about just putting down decayed granite or something like that. That's basically what they use in these cinder tracks that athletes run on. Uh, it's easy on the dog's feet, much more so than some other materials are, but um, you're just with big dogs like that, you're just, uh, it's just an exercise in futility to try to keep grass throughout the entire area. So I'd try to give them their area, and I'd create your area for you and your family and, and keep them separate. Yeah, they definitely have a security uh, uh, perimeter going at this point, so I think yeah. the crushed granite is a good idea around there. Um, and it doesn't so wash the way mulch does, so it's, that's another good thing about it. Well, the worst thing with mulch is that he ends up coming inside, and he looks like he's he, it all attracts him <laughs> like Velcro. <laughs> And that'll be the golden, especially. Well, I guess Great Pyrenees got lots of hair. They they can both carry a lot of mulch around with them. Yeah. And then, um, okay, so thank you for the terrace recommendation, I guess building different tiers in there. Um, I do think that I'm probably going to need to put a little bit more soil into it. And then inside of that area, inside of these terrace, these tiers, I was going to do some sections of smaller sections of grass, but then also put some rock. Sure. Um, you know, some rock features with some stepping stones and things like that. What sort of layers in the base of this of these filled areas would I want to use for that? Well, where you're where you're going to, you know, build up with rock, I uh, probably want to just get some road base. Um, okay. Will work just fine. And if it's if there are reasons that you're really afraid it will shift, uh, you do what's called cement stabilizing, not concrete, but uh, you know the difference in concrete and cement. Cement is the binding agent in concrete. What you want is pure cement. It'll be sold as Portland cement. It'll come in a 90-pound bag that's oh, just too damn heavy. But um, you'll mix that. You'll take your road base, and you'll put about uh, one shovelful of Portland cement for about six shovelfuls of base. Mix it up as best you can. 
and that will set up and give you an extremely hard foundation. If possible, set that first course of rock on top of it before it really dries, and uh, it's never going to wash. That's what we do for Jeep roads and things like that that are on a severe slope. Okay. So if there, and then we might put and intermix some gravel with stepping stones, so this would be a good base for underneath those areas. It'll be fine underneath either one. You'll find regular Portland cement and white Portland cement uh, because they use it to make light-colored mortar, but uh, you just want the old gray cheap. You'll be amazed how cheap it is. You'll be amazed. I don't know why they don't put it in a more homeowner-friendly bag because you've got to be a football player to lug those things around <laughs> very much. But uh, it, it is by far the best way to stabilize the soil. Okay. And then I, if there's time, just one last question. I guess, like, now that I'm thinking of probably putting in some new grass in this area and then wanting a little bit, a, a, a few new shade trees in this area, um, what sort of grass do you think I should go with? I have St. Augustine now, but it just seems to require so much water. If you've got good sun, Tiff Bermuda is going to be the toughest. That's what they use on golf greens and things to get, you know, heavy foot traffic. So uh, I'd be looking at Tiff Bermuda in that area as long as it gets good. Trees, golly, if if you can water, Mexican sycamore is a great tree and very fast growing. Uh, Slower growing are things like Mexican live oak, slower growing and uh, even more slow growing, but much more long-lived burr oak. Chinkapin oak, Lacey's oak, uh, those will all be good. Zach, if you want to discuss this more next week, let's do it. But let me get Corinne here before the end of the show. Uh, and thanks. Good morning, Corinne. Got about two minutes here. Well, well, good morning to you. Um, he, you talked to Zach, and he answered most of my questions, except that if I do the TIF Bermuda, when would I put that in? Best time would probably be, uh, I mean, if if you're worried about uh, erosion over the winter or things, you could do it now. If it were mine, I'd probably be getting everything ready and planning on doing it in early March. I think that would be the single best time. Okay, uh, because I have the same, very same problems he was having, and I was going <laughs> with both. both things, yeah. But I have another question. Uh, okay. How do you broadcast green sand? I mean, I'm um, trying to put the green sand down, and man, I I think I don't really know how I'm putting it down. <laughs> I, I just, down. yeah, I just sling it out by hand. It doesn't have to go on super easily. But I will tell you, since I discovered azomite, I don't use much green sand anymore. I tell people azomite is like green sand on steroids. Uh, it okay. works better, faster. I don't think it lasts quite as long. But everywhere I've used it, I've had much faster green up and much better results than I had with the green sand. Now you're going to find three different grades of azomite. There's a very there's one that is so fine it can actually be you know put in suspension with water and sprayed on. Uh, the one that you probably want is what they call granular. And if you want to put it on with a spreader, you can. But once again, I usually just kind of scatter it out by hand. Okay. Okay. Doesn't that have to be watered good. in, but but look for azomites. You're going to find it's just almost a miracle worker. So, anyway, well, listen, it's been fun talking plants for the past three hours. Doctor Kirby's here. We've got an hour of your pet's health. So, call us with your pet questions next. We'll go back to plants again next Saturday morning at five thirty, right here on KTSA Radio in beautiful San Antonio, Texas.